Good morning. It is good to see you this morning. We're thankful for the good crowd that is assembled here. We have a few folks who are away from us. We also have a lot of visitors with us this morning. You know, we're always thankful for the families at this congregation, many of the families that go back uh, for so many years, and we're always thankful when uh, part of that family can be here. I was standing in the back as we were getting started and thinking we've got a, a bit of a competition, a bit of a race this morning. There's a few more Williamsons here, and we're thankful that they're with us. There's a few more Robertsons here. We're thankful that they're with us. There's a few more Lawrences here. We're thankful that they're with us, and they're all filling up whole pews, and we're thankful for that. So, But it's good to see you, and we're just thankful for the opportunity to study together this morning. Charles and I had talked a while back, and uh, he had mentioned that sometimes it might be important or good for us if we took a look at sermons that connected together through both of our services. Sometimes we do that, sometimes we don't, but especially with us having lunch here in just a few moments and then a 1.30 service, we'll hope you be back with us then in just a little while as we assemble again at that time, but we're going to do that today. We're going to kind of take a, a look, a little bit longer look at, at something in particular that we're going to talk about this morning, begin talking about. I really just accused him if he was trying to get me to preach shorter in the morning, you know, spread it out over two lessons and not talk as long in one, but uh, that's all right. We're going to do that today, and we hope that you can be back with us again this afternoon at 1.30. If you have your bulletin in front of you, you may have noticed the title of the lesson is A Matter of Death and life. Now, it's backwards in the way that we usually say it. We usually say something is a matter of life and death. There's a reason for that, and we'll get there in just a few moments. But when we are talking about a matter of death and life, if I told you this morning that that is something we were going to talk about, I would probably have your attention. Now, I know the setting that we're in, and you know me, and, and I know you, and you may think, well, that's not something in particular. But what if you go to the doctor's office, or what if you get a call from the doctor's office, and they say, we need to talk, we need you to come in, we have a matter of life and death. Is that not what we've been through over the last two or three years in our country? Uh, I don't want to argue about it, we don't have to talk about it, but wherever you fall on the spectrum of mask or no mask or vaccines or whatever, that's been part of the discussion, was whether or not this was something that was a matter of life and death. And of course, in a sense, it certainly was, as many People in our country and around the world have died, but, but that's what's been the question in some instance, in some way. Is it a matter of death and life? What about something like even in the picture here, a, a picture of a bomb? You know, if someone says there's a bomb or you thought there was a bomb threat, we would treat that as a matter of death and life and something that needs our attention. Well, this morning we're going to talk about a powerful weapon. In fact, through scripture, it may even be listed or discussed in such a way that is the most powerful weapon in all the world. You know, we get caught up in things sometimes like anthrax or, or things like bio-nuclear weapons or nuclear weapons, and that's, that's all the discussion sometimes right in the news about who's developing these chemical weapons or nuclear weapons. But as you're going to see this morning, you really, I mean, really, you already know. We're going to talk about maybe the most powerful weapon in all the world, but it's not something that some country can develop, but it's something that all of us carry with us each and every day. It's that thing that's included in our mouth, thing that we call the tongue. It's, it's like this. Let me ask you this. If, if we were to go back in our memories, all of you that are a little older, if I were to ask you, what would be the thing that got you backhanded by your parents the most? What, what would be the thing? Was it because you were hitting your brother or sister? It was because you didn't pick up your room or take out the trash? Or would it be the thing usually when you were, what we say, running off at the mouth? Was it your tongue sometimes that got you in the most trouble with your parents as you were growing up? 
We think about our tongues and we think about the fact that with our tongues we have the power to or the power not to as we think about some of these words to gossip, slander, outbursts of anger, boasting, lying, cursing, being critical of others, verbal abuse, sturdy jokes, complaining, betraying, and above all, you could even lead someone astray with the power of your tongue. Simply a little bit of false teaching, and it is certainly the most powerful weapon in all of this world because we can tell someone something that's not true, have them believing a lie, and their soul be lost because of something that we have said. This morning we want to talk about the most powerful weapon in all the world, and in fact the Bible does say that it is a matter of death and life. And that is, of course, the power of words, as this slide says, or the power of our tongue. You know, this is uh, from the PowerPoint that, that we use. I have access to some of these and try to pull them and use them into our, into our slides and into our lessons. A lot of this website that we use also have some of the countdown timers. Maybe some of you have visited a place or attend a place where they run a little timer, you know, on the screen as it's time for worship to start. And, and a lot of these start at five minutes. So a few months ago, back the first of the year, when we were having Bible Bowl practice in here, the kids were for lads to leaders, I would give them a break. We'd take a break for a few moments. I'd say, all right, be back in here in about five minutes. And one time we were in here using the screen to study the questions, and I started that timer at five minutes with a picture of a bomb on it. Uh, now, they understood, I think, that we weren't going to kind of uh, detonate some kind of bomb, but it's amazing the power of the mind, right? You see a bomb, you see a, a counter counting down, a timer counting down, and it's something in our mind that causes us to think about the power of that. Well, there's power in our words, and there's certainly power in our tongues. To begin, though, think with me for just a couple of moments about a few physical things. Before we get into the Bible and the spiritual things, think about a few of the spiritual, uh, physical things. Have you ever considered physically? The tongue is not, doesn't have a skeleton. You know what happens to your elbow when you've been moving stuff or playing for too long? That joint pain begins to hurt, right? Well, rather than a few muscles that kind of attach it to our body, of course, the, the, the tongue doesn't have a skeleton. It has no joint pain, so what does that mean? It's already, always ready to fire, right? There's no, no way that it's usually worn down in a sense or like our knees. Boy, I just don't think I can walk today. You know, my knee's really bothering me or my elbow or whatever it is. No, no, no joint pain in here, right? We're always ready to go. And we're usually ready to fire at anyone and everyone who stands in our way. Maybe not always. Hopefully that's not of our nature. But certainly that is the case when we're upset or bothered, or for some of us, maybe you have that kind of temper or kind of ha show those outbursts sometimes, the tongue physically, in a sense, even doesn't have that same kind of pain. What about this, our taste buds? You know, we always taste what is going in, and it's so wonderful, isn't it? But we don't taste what is going out, do we? Someone else has to taste that. You know, I listened to one particular, I was reading one article, and it was talking about the taste buds and how there are different uh, parts of the tongue that taste different ways. And then I heard somebody else say, well, that's not true. That's been debunked by other scientists and studies that really our whole tongue kind of is a part of our taste bud and those kinds of things. But regardless of that, think about the fact that we taste what's going in with our tongue. But boy, when we give some of those bitter words, some of those sour words, we shoot those out. We don't taste those the same way that we taste what's going in. But boy, it sure leaves a taste in someone else's mouth or a taste in somebody else on their, uh, their mind when we kind of come in that kind of fashion. What about this? It's the only body part that has its own cage, right? 
You know, we can't control everything else, but we got this, this cage that God built in where we can just kind of close it off, and then hopefully nothing comes out, right? But I don't know. Sometimes we have trouble controlling that cage, but it comes with its own cage. Maybe God's telling us, you know, we always talk about the fact that we're to be quick to hear, right, and slow to speak, two ears, one mouth, listen, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, we also got a little bit of a cage too, baby, in a sense that we need to keep it closed, keep it locked up sometimes, physical sense, Maybe there are some things that remind us that we need to be careful with the power of the tongue. But we even think about our Bible. We're going to talk about a passage in just a moment. But even really all throughout the Bible, God has always shown an importance in words, right? The tongue, the power of the tongue, the power of words, they've always been important to God. We go back to Exodus chapter 20, and it's two of the Ten Commandments. Right? The idea of the third commandment, we might say, do not take God's name in vain. Do not use our tongue in that way. What about the ninth commandment? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Two of the Ten Commandments deal with the power of the tongue. God's always had a way or wanted to share with us the importance of our words and our tongues. What about Proverbs chapter 6? Do you remember Proverbs chapter 6, verses 16 through 19? These six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. So we usually talk about the seven things that God hates. Well, two at least, and we'll make the argument for three, deal with the tongue. One of those is a lying tongue in verse number 17. Also in verse number 19, a false witness who speaks lies. Both of those, again, two of the seven deal with our tongue, things that God hates. But I would suggest for your thinking as well, number seven, at the end of verse number 19, and one who sows discord among brethren. Now, I see you sitting there in those pews. You could probably sow discord among brethren if you just steal somebody's pews in the church building, right? That's one way. But most of the time, if we're going to sow discord, what's it with? It's with our tongue. So we could say two, certainly, but maybe even three of the seven things that God hates deal with the power of the tongue. Come back this afternoon, we're going to talk even further back or a little bit more about some examples, some instances in the Old Testament that, again, remind us that words have always been important to God. But this is just a couple. But I even was thinking about Wednesday night. If you were with us on Wednesday night here in our auditorium class, we talked about conversion or salvation. We talked about the idea that God doesn't work on our hearts, as we say, a lost person's heart by the Holy Spirit. It's not something that just hits us in that kind of way when it comes to conversion. God has always used words. When you look on the pages of the New Testament, every time someone is saved, there is a preacher present. Someone who has delivered the words of God. We thought in particular about Acts 9, 10, and 11 there where Peter goes to Cornelius. And as there's the recounting of that, Cornelius had sent these men to Peter so that Peter could come to him. And he says, I want to know the words by which I can be saved. That's what's going to be told to him. Not the Holy Spirit, not some miraculous thing, but the words. Words have always been important to God. But now, if you have your Bible, go to James chapter 3. And let's think about James chapter 3 for just a moment. James chapter 3 and verse 5 is on the screen. The tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Now that's right there, kind of in the middle of that section. But, but think with me for just a moment about a few other things here from James's epistle. 
Well, first of all, we would notice that it's found in James chapter 3. In fact, I didn't count the words, but it's almost found right smack dab in the middle of the book of James. With all the things that James says before, and he talks about the tongue early on, with all the things that James says in the back half, and he talks about our words and our prayers in the back half, James 3 is the middle, and it's right where he talks about our tongue and our words. Now, this is a lesson that applies to all. I think that's what's interesting about this. You know, sometimes we talk about conversion. We may think, well, that's something for older people and even our teenagers, those who are of the age of accountability, we say, someone who can reason and think about those things. There are some lessons maybe when we talk about the Holy Spirit, as we have talked about recently on Wednesday night. The Holy Spirit can be something that's a little difficult to understand, and maybe that's something for a certain group of people. Or we talk about marriage. We talk about parenting. But not here. This is a lesson that applies to everyone. Whether you go as far down as Campbell or Thatcher or Emmett, or whether you go as old as James or Bob or Tom, it doesn't matter. This lesson applies to everyone. But you know what I was thinking about? It's kind of interesting. If we were to go through the body and we were to handpick the body part that we, we like the most, say, or I'm a sports guy, you know, so I like drafts. You know, the NFL draft is coming up or the NBA draft is coming up and that kind of thing. You think about, well, we choose the most important part or we choose the best part. Where do you think the tongue would fall? I think it's easy for us to say, well, you know, boy, I sure like some good food. I mean, we already smell it sometimes here on Sunday morning. I, I love to taste good food, so I would pick the tongue. But have you ever considered when you look through James chapter 3 that it's probably the least desirable body part? In fact, it might go last on the list because it, the Bible says it is something to be avoided. I started to make a list and go back and forth and think about the good things and the bad things. Yeah, we can taste good food with our tongue, but we taste bad food as well, right? What about the fact, if you're open there to James chapter 3 and verse number 8, one of the other things that we should look at when we're, we think maybe we would avoid the tongue, it is impossible to tame, right? Verse number 8, no man can tame the tongue. Why would I want to choose first the body part that I can't even control? What about verse number 8 again? It is unruly evil, an unruly evil, full of deadly poison. If I gave you the choice between things and one of them was full of poison, you wouldn't choose it. It'd be last on our list of things that we would desire. What about James chapter 1? I told you he talked about it. James chapter 1 and verse number 26. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. The power of the tongue is that it can make our religion useless. Have you ever known somebody? Have you ever known somebody who claimed to be a Christian who maybe sat in these pews one day for one service and when you see them out on the street or the grocery store or the baseball field or the basketball court or wherever and they can't control your their tongue and you think, boy, what kind of person is that? One of the easiest ways to show that we are hypocritical I read an article this week, someone was talking about modesty, and they said, you know, the, the, the first example that we often see somebody is their clothes, and that's why we preach on modesty, and it's important to talk about modesty, because they look at us, and they're going to draw a conclusion pretty quickly if we're a Christ follower or not. But do you know what's first, or maybe really close behind in second place? It's our tongue. It's our words. When we preached about modesty a few weeks ago, we talked about sometimes it's like our accent. You know, you can tell very quickly if somebody's from the South. 
We, Hannah and I had the chance to go to Romania when we were in college on a mission trip. And we had to take the subway, you know, there around Romania to travel around. And we were with some other ladies from the south. And we said, please don't open your mouth when we're on this because they'll know quickly where we're from or who we are. They'll certainly realize we're American. And so you have to be careful because you recognize from somebody's tongue where they're from, or we see about them. And James says it makes our religion useless. That's the power of the tongue. That's the power of our words. But he also gives three examples that are listed here. If you've opened up your Bible there, the first one is in chapter 3 and verse number 3. And it's the idea of a bit. Now listen, I am the furthest thing from a horse person. The closest I get to coming to be a horse person is knowing uh, Kristen Duncan. That's about as close as it comes for me to knowing anything about horses or anything about that. But we understand the concept of a bit and a horse, a powerful powerful horse. Again, I don't know much about them. I've not been that close, but I've heard people who talk about the damage they can do, whether they throw someone off or were to be kicked or something by a horse. A powerful object like that can be controlled by a small bit. And not only that, the bit controls the whole body. Again, if you've ever tried to ride one or be around them before, we don't have to know much. I don't have to be an expert. James didn't have to be an expert to use this example, but that's one way in which James here shows the power of the tongue and the power of our words. Secondly, we talk about a rudder. Once again, not a boat person, not much of a ship person here. Been on a few, understand how they work, but it's amazing to me. I mean, we've not been on a cruise, my, my family, or never been on a cruise before, but it's amazing to me to think about those large cruise ships, right? how big they are, how many rooms there are, how many people are on them, and then this little, small rudder in the back. And I know sometimes, like on a cruise ship, they're bigger, but still, compared to that ship, something so small. Likewise, just like the horse, the small bit controlling the powerful horse, a rudder controls the whole ship when it's moving around. Those are both in verses 3 and 4, if you've turned there to James chapter 3. The third one is in verse number 5, and that is the idea of a small fire. A small fire. Now, if you've talked to the Wilsons at all, you may have known they're from Nevada and the California area. They can probably give a little bit better testament than many of us of the fires that sometimes control or are uncontrolled, excuse me, in that part of the country how they destroy and do so much damage to the world around them. But even us, right, we've experienced it not too long ago there in Gatlinburg, the Pigeon Forge area. I don't know if you ever had a chance to go up and examine some of that hillside, mountainside. We got to stay in a cabin a few years ago, uh, not long after that, two cabins that had been redone, but all around us was still charred trees, blackened forests, and the foundations only of some of those cabins that had been burnt to the ground. Just a spark. Just a spark is all it takes often to start those fires and to do so much damage. In fact, you may have studied in history before the Great Chicago Fire, right? The Great Chicago Fire of 1871 killed 300 people, destroyed 2,000 acres, and somewhere between around 17,000 structures destroyed by that Great Chicago Fire. I think officially they never said they knew exactly what caused it. But one of the, the examples that was used most often was a family that lived there that had a cow, and that cow kicked over a lantern. The great Chicago fire, 300 people and all those structures by just a spark, just a start of a fire. 
You know, the first two examples of a bit and a rudder, that they show control, but this one shows destruction. Our tongues can control us, but this one shows the destruction. You know, somebody said the, the modern example is the steering wheel, right? James didn't have a steering wheel to use, but how much damage or how much control do we have in a steering wheel? It's easy to take for granted too, isn't it? Put one hand on it, just kind of touch it with a finger, not touch it at all, and it steers for a few moments, maybe still straight. Go to jerk it, what happens? Go to lose control, and what happens? And it can destroy a car, and it can take lives, and all of those things. Just something, something so small has so much power and can cause so much destruction. Two other notes real quick before we move on. If you're there in James 3, look at verses 6 through 8. James also gives the idea that the tongue is so set among our members that it defiles the whole body. It defiles the whole body. It doesn't matter our outward beauty. It doesn't matter how much time we spend in the gym. It doesn't matter how beautiful we can make ourselves. Our tongue can destroy all of that. Our outward beauty can be great, but no matter our outward beauty, the tongue can defile the whole body body and not only that in verses 7 and 8 we're reminded that as mankind we have been able to tame basically everything right the circus the king of the jungle the lion yes we can control some lions we can control other animals we can make them do everything we tell them to do but we can't control that little thing inside of our mouth we can't control our own tongue and it's important James spends 12 verses at least here and again touches on it throughout his whole epistle that we remember the importance of trying to control our tongue. Two things here and the lesson will be yours. Number one, our goal, we should strive for consistency. Notice in verses 9 through 12, the rest of that part of the section of James chapter 3, we should strive to be consistent had another good crowd this morning in our young adult college age class but we talked about the idea of consistency you know what that you know what that means that that means in our life we should be consistent we were really discussing the idea of how do we disagree with people sometimes in society whether it be through social media or whether it be in the workplace how can we disagree with people on some things like homosexuality or abortion or, or maybe some spiritual matters like baptism or salvation or those kinds of things or maybe just things that don't matter so much maybe things that aren't as important as salvation but things like COVID or other things that we've talked about and one thing that we pointed out one tip that we need as Christians is we need to be consistent in our lives we cannot stand for the truth or say that we don't believe in certain things, or we believe the Bible teaches this on certain matters, and then live another way. We can't try to straddle the fence. We have to be consistent in the things we do. And that's exactly what James is talking about here. How is it that we can praise God? The singing was beautiful just a few moments ago. We praise God together, but we're going to walk out those doors in a few moments, and then we're going to begin to lie. We're going to begin to berate our spouse or our children. We're going to use foul language. And the list could go on and on. How is it? How dare you? We tell our children sometimes, how dare you use your tongue that way? And yet as adults and as Christians, we'll stand here and praise God with one tongue and walk out and do something totally different with the same tongue. We will bless the one who made us, and yet we'll spend our days tearing down the ones who are made in his image. What does James say about that at the end of verse number 10? 
My brethren, these things ought not to be so. How can it be? Paul would say, God forbid. May it not be so. That should be the last thing on our list that occurs. Is that we would be two-faced. That we would be hypocritical. That we would bless God in one way with the tongue and then curse others. Or even curse him. Or the list that we even gave earlier. Gossip, slander, lying. All of those things that we could put up here. We need to strive to be consistent. You know what the bad news is, right? It takes effort. It takes work. It's not just something that we can master overnight just like that. A lot of us would be the first one to sign up if we could step down into that water and be baptized and rise up to walk in newness of life and our problems with our tongues be fixed. It's not so. James says this should be the last thing that occurs. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. We should not be like the the tree or like the water, the examples he gives in verses 11 and 12, that send forth fresh water and bitter water, a fig tree that bears olives or a grapevine that bears figs. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in regards to science, plants, water. It doesn't happen. But it happens when it comes to our tongue. But not only that, we even think here finally about the key. The key to this, because we say, you know, we can't do it. It's impossible. It can't be tamed. But here's the key. The key is our heart. If you've got your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 12 with me for just a moment. Matthew chapter 12, and then we'll begin to conclude this lesson. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus talks about this idea that, yes, James says it's impossible. Of course, James is going to write later. But Jesus is going to kind of allude to the fact that, yes, it seems impossible. But this is the key. Matthew chapter 12 And we think about verses 33 through 35. Matthew chapter 12, 33 through 35. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. Brood of vipers. Strong language, Jesus, but yes it is. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. You see, this morning I can't promise you a quick and easy fix. I can give you the suggestion that God gave. I can give you the suggestion that Jesus gave. Fix your heart. Of course, we don't mean the the blood-pumping organ. Fix your mind. Fix your heart. Have you ever met somebody who was was calm most of the time? Do you ever remember that person getting upset and how it kind of takes you aback? Well, I know it must be bad if he or she got upset. Well, it's because it's not their nature. It's because their heart, their mind, their life is one of calmness. And when something else comes out, we see there's something amiss. For some people, though, they can put forth that maybe calm, cool exterior, but as they're always constantly lashing out and biting with their tongue, we know where it comes from. It comes from a bad heart. May we strive to follow this example, the suggestion of God to fix our heart, because here's the thing. It can only be tamed with God's help. 
We're fighting an impossible battle by ourselves. But with God's help fixing our heart, our tongue, will never be perfect, but will be mature. We'll hopefully be better in our relationships and the way that we use our tongue. It is a matter of death and life. Do you want to have useless religion? James says if you do, don't bridle your tongue. If you want your religion to be something that is worthwhile, that is helpful, that encourages others, then you've got to learn to control your tongue. This afternoon when we come back, if you have your bulletin, you may have seen the title is Speaking in Tongues. We're not going to so much talk about the idea of speaking in tongues as the Bible dis discusses it, but maybe some tongues that we can focus on a little more directly. Maybe some tongues that we speak in, things like anger or love, and how we can try to do better about that. And we hope that you'll come back for sort of the concluding part of this lesson. But as we're about to sing the song that's been selected, appreciate Charles asking and looking ahead as many of our song leaders do. Wonderful words of life. That's what we have given to us by the word of God. The wonderful words of life. We can hear them and we can obey them. Being added to the church by God so that we can begin to live a faithful life. Part of that faithful life is by giving those wonderful words of life to the world, sharing them with others. Maybe you're here this morning and you're not a child of God. We'll be singing to encourage you that you would obey those wonderful words, that you would become a Christian even this day or study with us as soon as possible. Maybe you're here this morning and you know it's a struggle to remain faithful. You know how hard it is to use our tongue correctly. Maybe you're here this morning and your sin or your trouble is your tongue. Maybe it's not. Maybe there's just something else that is amiss in your life that you'd like to make right with God. We're thankful for the opportunity that presents itself at this time that we can think about those wonderful words. That you can become a child of God. That you can come back to Him. That you can enjoy the prayers of your brothers and sisters in Christ to do what's right and to be living a faithful life. Do you need to make a change? We'll encourage you now as we stand together and as we sing.